This is episode 74 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 74 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, I have another great guest. I uh, can't say enough good things about the guy, uh, Rob Brake. He came on the show. Rob, you might recognize that name. He's the host of a very popular Canadian real estate podcast called the Breakthrough REI Podcast. Uh, Rob is co-host with Sandy McKay, who was recently on this show as well, as well as many members of his team. In this episode, Rob really digs into responsible growth. We had a very candid chat about our philosophies, our views on growth and balancing both wanting to grow, but also wanting to have quality of life and understanding that bad decisions in real estate state can come back to haunt you. I'm speaking from experience on that one. So we got into the various different types of real estate that Rob invests in, why he invests in those types of real estate. And we also got into a specific case study of a new student rental project that he's doing in the Peterborough area, where he is expecting $3,500 a month positive cash flow when he's done. That's right, $3,500. I have not heard of anyone doing that on a single family home. And uh, that is his plan. So it was really great to dig into those numbers and see just exactly exactly how that works out. We also talked about how he came across that deal, the fact that other people didn't see the value in it, and he did, and he ended up pulling the trigger on it. So again, I can't say enough good things about Rob. He's a really interesting, really smart guy who started as a truck driver just listening to American podcasts, eventually got to the Durham REI meetup, eventually started meeting people like Sandy McKay, and his circle, his sphere uh, of people in his life all became real estate investors, or mostly became real estate investors, and it just snowballed from there. Uh, So I I really do think you're going to enjoy this episode. I know it's well worthwhile to get to know Rob and get to know his story. And then of course, you can listen to he and Sandy on the Breakthrough REI podcast. Just before we get into today's episode, I want to ask you to please take a moment to rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you're on YouTube, please leave me a comment, hit the like, like and subscribe button and the notification bell. It will help more people to find the podcast and it will help us to stay connected. Thank you so much for continuing to follow this podcast. Without further ado, here is Rob Brake. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Rob Brake on the show. Rob, you might recognize that name. He uh, he hosts a very important podcast here in Canada. Rob, first off, thanks so much for doing this. Yes, it's very important. Thanks for pointing that out. (laughs) Very important. Uh, No, thanks for having me, man. This is awesome. I appreciate you having me on. I'm, I'm looking very much forward to this. Yeah, we've been talking about this for like a year plus. So um, we have. You like to interview people in person. I don't like to go anywhere. So that's (laughs) where the conflict has come in. And and, uh, I would, you know, sometimes make the trip, but but the cross Toronto route is a is a treacherous one (laughs) for traffic mostly. Um, but, uh, yeah, man, you, you've done so much over the years. I remember listening to your podcast before, um, before I even really knew what podcasts were, somebody's like, listen to this podcast. I'm like, what's a podcast? <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I found your podcast. You were sharing all kinds of wisdom on Canadian real estate investing. And, uh, for those who aren't familiar with the story, Rob, why don't you just tell them kind of how you got started in that and, and how that led into real estate investing or, you know, the two together, I imagine went, went together. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I got started pretty much the same way that everybody does. My parents set up a trust fund for me and then I bought a bunch of properties and uh, went from there. Was that a joke? (laughs) No, it was a joke. Um, (laughs) Well, no, like, I mean, I I started, I did start out the way that most of the people, at least that we in our circles start out, which is no money at all. Um, And uh, just figured out a way to make this work. Right. So when, when I was growing up, my parents, the only way we ever got anything was if you had enough cash to actually go out and buy that item, whatever it was, even if it was a car, where there was no financing, like nothing. There was no. Um, so, so I learned almost the same way as you know, poor dad from rich dad, poor dad, mm-hmm. right? So that was the way I was brought up, and um, and no, the way we got into it was, um, we were looking for a place, and uh, my friends. Right next door to them, there was a duplex for sale. And we didn't buy it because it was a duplex. We just bought it because it was a house that was next door to some friends of ours. We thought that would be cool to live there. So, But quickly we realized that with a uh, legal basement apartment, which it just happened to have, that uh, we had some more money at the end of the month, which was something really new for us. You know, it's, mm-hmm. 
Um, uh, I, I, I mean, I joked about a trust fund, but I would say at that time I had no idea what a trust fund was um, and no idea what money at the end of the month was either. You know, we, we spent the majority of uh, my wife and I have been together for, I don't even want to say how long, um, a long time though. And I mean, we started off doing the, every night it was like maybe some craft dinner. Maybe if you want to switch it up, we'd go to, uh, you know, Alphagetti or whatever mm-hmm. and some, and some bread and, and call it a day. So, um, so it was really, really new to us to have that extra money. And it's something, of course, you know, that makes things click. Mm-hmm. And if you, and if you start to do things right and you start to realize the power that this can have and, and save up some of that money, um, and then you can really make it work for you very quickly. So that's what we did. Our second uh, property that we bought was a it was a, it was a couple years later before we really realized what we had, right, and decided to make it work for us. What year was um, the first one? Like what, what year was it? The first one was 06. Yeah. 06, okay. Yeah. So you've been in the game for a while. So you waited a few more years and continue. 06 and everybody at work was telling me, no, no, don't buy, like, cause we were still living in that place. We just rented out the basement. Uh, you know, don't buy anything else. That's too risky. The water cooler talk was all, what do you think you're doing? Like you have no business doing this. That's crazy. Who buys two houses, two houses, you want two houses. Mm-hmm. What is wrong with you? Um, but despite all that, I had started immersing myself into, um, more of uh, a circle of people who did understand that kind of thing. And I joined Durham REI, which I would say is probably the most, you know, the, the thing that really made things start for me, where I've learned everything. And my world changed when I discovered Durham REI. Anyone that doesn't know Durham REI, look them up. Uh, Quentin yeah. D'Souza is the, uh, it runs that whole organization there and he's wrote a bunch of books i've got them all right here beside me and uh and i would say you know even if you can't get out here for meetings check out his books um i've I've got his books sitting on my my desk yeah he was he was kind enough to come on the uh the podcast he actually made the drive (laughs) (laughs) i would have made the drive man you offered to do it this way yeah you know um yeah so so you started going to durham sounds good too though right? it does yeah well we're both two podcast hosts that have good gear so so we we, we're okay here um no i yeah this this works actually quite well um so uh yeah so you when did you start going to durham rei like what year Um, well, I don't know. I think it might've been 2011, maybe somewhere around there, eight eight or nine years ago. I wish I had known like about that stuff. Like I heard about rain, but I had no idea how important that kind of thing was. Like I just worked in the, I was working in the business. So I was learning that way. But man, if I had, if I had started back then going to something like that, I probably wouldn't have, wouldn't have got burned nearly as much and as often as I did. But, uh, Hey, hindsight's 2020. And now, now it's a very different world. You know what, when you do get burned, I think the big thing, the big difference between having the support behind you and not is when you do get burned, which you will, right? Like everybody mm-hmm. knows that it's not just roses. Mm-hmm. Um, you run into problems and you have to overcome them. And those people that are in those groups, they have went through those problems themselves and they can at least alleviate some of your stress when they go, mm-hmm. dude, you, you like, you think you got it bad? Let me tell you what happened on my first property. Yeah. Right. And then you start to go, okay, maybe I can get through this. Maybe I don't have to quit because I have foundation issues in the first place and now i've got water all over the basement and oh my god i've got to figure out a way to you know to take care of this and it's going to cost a bunch of extra money um so anyway though that second place was a student rental up top five bedrooms and a legal basement apartment and that one was uh downtown oshawa and we made that one work for quite a while and then it uh and then it it was an old building. It needed a lot of updating. So I did a bunch of, I did all the updating and basically I was sick of looking at it. And then uh, I sold it to a friend of mine who calls it his cash cow. 
<laughs> so that always makes me feel good. Well, the University of Ottawa, or sorry, Uni- University of Oshawa, Ontario, right? They call it University of Ontario. I, I'm getting all the names mm-hmm. confused. Uh, it's like you an IT. Yeah. yeah, IT, although IT is like kind of a given now. They don't, almost don't even need to stress that uh, with, with the, how every university seems to have gone at least to some degree. But uh, yeah, they were, you know, the nice thing there was it was so fresh that the bylaws weren't really up to date and they were letting people pretty much do what they wanted. Uh, like initially, cause I had a friend that was investing up there, you know, well, a client uh, of mine and he, I was talking to him back in like 2013 and he was able to just add basement suites and, and add bedrooms as he, as he likes. Whereas in London, we've been restricted, you know, five bedrooms, max, all that stuff. Um, is, was that like kind of an open plane? Was that your experience? Was it like kind of like an open playground? You could do, do what you wanted or, uh, did you find it more, more restrictive? Well, we've always tried to follow the rules, right? That's one big thing with me. And, and I'm, a, I'm a realtor now, um, only mm-hmm. for about the last five years. So okay. um, so that's always been a thing with me is making sure that people get into something that they can run legally, right? Yeah, so we've always, the same too. Yeah. So we've always had that rule when we were buying things, even right off mm-hmm. the start. And um, yeah, it can be a little trickier. I mean... Uh, in Oshawa, they have a regulated area, which is around the school. So they haven't done the whole city. It's more just an area, like a circle around where the school is. So as long as you're outside of that, you can run it like a lot of people do with their student rentals and just put as long as everyone's on one lease, then you're sort of bypassing the, um, the, the actual bylaws, I guess, in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard of similar things in in London too. a friend of mine doing, doing it that way where you would have you know, he, he, he could legally have eight bedrooms, but he couldn't operate it as two separate units. But as long like he, like you said, they were on the same lease. I don't know if that's correct. I've never looked into that, but as long as they were on the same, um, lease terms, he would even say you could do separate leases as long as they're the same lease terms. I don't know the technicality of how they did that. I uh, mean, it's municipality by municipality yeah. with that kind of thing. But yeah. I mean, even like, for example, we do a lot of student rentals in Peterborough now. Yeah. And, um, and, and like you can do that. You're not actually breaking any laws doing it that way, having everybody on one lease. But Peterborough mm-hmm. has a bylaw that requires you to register any uh, student rentals over uh, four bedrooms. Okay. Right? So, so technically, if you're up to fire code and you've got six bedrooms and everyone's on one lease, you're not doing anything but, but, but uh, like not adhering to the bylaw. Mm-hmm which is a slap on the wrist, right? Well, so some you mean in terms of registering, if you didn't register? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, but can't you register? Can I have, you know, an eight bedroom student rental in Peterborough and register? You it? absolutely can. Let's not get into that right now. But you know, that's just work <laughs> yeah. that some people don't want to do, right? Yeah. I, I don't see any problem with that. I'd rather yeah. rest easy at night and I'd rather uh, spend a couple of extra dollars so that my neighbors across the street can't call and say, Hey, we don't like the ruckus coming from across the street. And they look and go, yeah, this guy shouldn't have you know students in there. And then they go and they yeah. cause trouble for you. So yeah, it's always better to do things the right way. I agree. And actually on that note, it's, it's a good idea to make friends with your neighbors too. I haven't done this enough with the regular rentals, but if I had like a project where I was going to be renovating, I went and knocked on the other neighbors doors and just like introduced myself so that they didn't, you know, so they saw me as a nice guy, young guy. Hopefully they had a little sympathy. Hey, I'm just a young guy trying to make it. Uh, not uh, not a big, bad Toronto developer trying to destroy their neighborhood. Uh, yeah. I've been called that too. So, um, you know, just uh, kind of learning the lessons there. Make friends with your neighbors. That was a headline in a paper for you, if I yeah. remember right, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Made the paper. Yeah. Not, not in a good way. <laughs> Oh man, if I if if hindsight wasn't twenty twenty, right? Like, I mean, just now, like I had I had CTV calling me, like, would you do an interview? I'm like, no, like, leave me alone. <laughs> like, hanging up, I, I don't want to talk to anybody. Um, you know, that was a, that was the wrong move, certainly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, get out there, talk to people, and and yeah, and uh, show them show them you have good intentions. I think you, you end up okay. But mm-hmm. uh, enough about me. You're you're doing all kinds of things, Rob. I know you. So you you got in doing duplexes. Um, as I understand it, that's kind of your bread and butter. You have, you have quite a few of those. Do you not? Yeah. Yeah. We've done a bunch over time and, uh, you know, I've had different partners and sold some and I've done a couple flips, but quite frankly, I'm not really a fan of flips. I find Mm -hmm. that especially like I try to look at everything I do, even as an agent from an investor perspective, obviously I work mostly Mm -hmm. with investors. And so, um, I, I find that, you know, 
time in the market. That's always, you know, not timing the market, time in the market. That's something you hear all the time. And it's true. And I think unless you're flipping as your principal source of income, if that's your job, that's great, you know. But if you're going to invest in in property, I find that even now, like with everything that we've had going on and, uh, you know, there's going to be a point where the market you know, climbs back up again. And it's always going to be appreciation is going to, going to out do whatever renovations you've done over time, you know, regardless of how much money you put into that runoff, if you've decked it out, you know, you wait five years and you could have sold that property without those rentals for the same price you did with it done. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think I might have mentioned this to you at, at one point, but I had at one point flipping was a big part of my income, and it had a company for it and uh, with a, with a partner, and that's what we did. And I look back at all those properties, and they're all worth quite a bit more now than when I sold them. And you know, we're talking like you know, property I might have had sixty thousand dollars in profit on. If I just kept it two more years, it would have been one hundred and sixty thousand. So. Mm-hmm. It's and pretty painful to see you're, that. You're, look, you could pick probably whatever one of those flips you're talking about, and you would be dead on with those numbers, yeah. most likely. Close, like yeah, yeah. You're going to be close. Got to know, that's yeah. Got to know your market, right? You got to know your market, and uh, yeah. So it, it's painful to see it, right? Even though you know, right? Like you know, the logic was there. Hey, I had a reason to do that. That was mm-hmm. that was my income strategy. It's still painful. <laughs> so uh, you know, there's there's. You just kind of have to accept those when you when you sell them, you sell them. But uh, I know that hasn't been your game, and I I think that's great, and I totally agree. And I I just I'm so happy to have the ones I have now. When you add in the whole COVID situation, and and the way our government's spent, the way they're going to have to tax, or you know, talking about taxing out of this, um, all the more reason not to sell because when you sell, like, what are they going to do to capital gains? Are they going to change it to a, you know, a full, a full uh, taxation rather than half tax? Um, I don't know where that's going to go, but this sell all your property now, avoid finding out. Well, unless, <laughs> unless they announce it this year later on for the 20, uh, the 2020 <laughs> tax year, and then yeah. you just get punished. So, yeah. I mean, I think that's, the, that's the big thing, right? When you like, as you said, if you don't sell, you don't pay that tax. You don't trigger the tax event. Therefore, you're, you're keeping your, your entire equity intact. And now that can keep compounding and growing for you. Whereas if you sell it, you get taxed. Now you got to put it, redeploy it uh, into something else and, you know, pay land transfer again. So there's all these fees that I think, you know, aside from real estate just being awesome, all these fees that you just avoid is another huge reason to keep. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, taxes. And and it's always been one of those things where I wish I was in a position to um, keep the places that I bought, but either I went into them, A, without, uh, you know, a backup strategy to keep it, mm-hmm. or B, you know, I've had partners where they wanted out and I just didn't have the means to buy them out. So, oh, okay. So those have been the only two reasons why I've ever sold the property. Okay. So what's your snapshot of your portfolio right now? Like, what's that look like? What do you got? Um, yeah, you know, again, like this isn't going to be too impressive to those people who are looking for headlines of, hey, you know, how I bought 60 houses in two years or anything like that. Right now, we hold eight duplexes, one mm-hmm. triplex, and the, and the student rental that we're and the student rental that we're going to talk about, and another nice. student rental. Cool. So, so, so eleven properties or so. Or yeah, I think twelve properties. 12 Not properties? a huge portfolio, right? But. That's a very Uh, respectable portfolio, man. This is what I always want to talk to people about. Like, uh, you know, when, when I talk to some people who I've met up with through the podcast and things like that, and they go, how come you're not crushing it? Like, how come you're not killing it? I say, I'm, I I am like, as far as I'm concerned, I'm crushing it. Like this is, I've chosen my lifestyle, how I want to live. I have the time that I want to have because I'm not overseeing you know, right now we've got two rental projects on the go. That's enough for me. I don't need to be looking yeah. after six rental pro- projects all at once and that kind yeah. of thing. So I think it's important to do the whole work-life balance, right? I agree. Well, and in quality over quantity too, right? Like if you've got a, like you just talked about quality of lifestyle, quality of properties too, right? There's apples aren't apples. Like I could have gone out, you could have gone out and bought, uh, you know, a 30 unit building that was falling apart and, you know, just made you lose all your hair or go gray or whatever. Um, and, and, and that wouldn't be an improvement. So, I mean, I, I, 
to me, like mine's not a huge number either. Mine are, and a big part of it is like mine are like a higher like value per door than um, than most people would look at because they're so heavily renovated and expensive properties and expensive areas. Um, so my number doesn't sound anything special either. But uh, I, I, like you, have been very patient. You know, I, I do deals because I feel they're the right deal, and I don't do deals for the sake of doing a deal. You know, I'm sure. Have you had Russell Westcott on? I haven't. I, I hear his name all the time, and I, I think I need to. Yeah, you should talk to him because, I mean, I've seen him a bunch of times as a speaker. We had him on our podcast, and one of his big things was, like he said, when he was first starting out, like people call him the JV Jedi, right? Mm-hmm. So he's got a course on how to yep. raise capital, and uh, and he's very good at it. He's been doing it for years. Yeah. And, um, and one of the big things he said was, if I could go back, one of the biggest mistakes I made was buying, like, building my portfolio too, too fast. Oh yeah. You know, I bought, I bought whatever was for sale. It was mm-hmm. pretty much indiscriminate. So, um, yeah. So he's always said, if I could go back, I would take it as a slower pace, slow down, relax, try to, you know, yeah. get the quality, pro- get the quality products. And yeah, it's a marathon, not a sprint. It really, it really is. Like so many people are so eager to take action that they just want to get their name on something. And and uh, I, I coach people and, and that's what the, you know, I feel like I need to be doing something. I'm like, you are doing something like you're, you're learning this. You can't do it overnight. And, and I'm going to try everything I can to stop you from making a mistake. Cause I've made them, you don't need to make them. Um, and I think buying too quickly, like, as I told you, I bought in Ohio, like made all these mistakes, you know, got made the paper. Uh, those are good ways to lose money. So, uh, you know, being methodical is a lot better than being aggressive and and growing too fast in my opinion. And obviously in yours too. Well, that's uh, what I was just going to say is it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not putting anybody down that has a different idea than me. Certainly there's many people that have different ideas of how to do things than what I have Mm -hmm. and and they're not wrong. Right. Yeah. It's just our opinion and what, what, you know, you and I, you know, we both have to respectively sleep at night. So, you know, if, uh, if buying too many is going to keep us up and I I realize that in myself is that if I, if I did that and took that approach and didn't feel like I had the cash assets to back it up, didn't feel like I could respond and manage those as a business, um, I lost sleep over it. And then I decided it's not worth it to me. It's not worth it to me to, to, to feel that way. So, um, yeah, I can, I can totally appreciate that. I know we went down that, um, that little rabbit hole there, but I think that that's valid because so many people out there are just so gung ho. Let's just get that number. And they make it this, you know, this measuring contest with, with other investors. And I don't think that's the way we should be doing it. Um, mm-hmm. not at all. So anyways, yeah. So out of those, are, are, are some of those JVs or are, are they mostly, uh, yours and your wife, your wife's as well? Most of them are JVs. JVs. Okay. Yeah. Most of them are, um, okay. I've been really fortunate with that. I think I've just had a, a way of getting my name out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I didn't do too much before we started with the JVs, actually. And and you know, like I said, like I didn't I didn't have a bunch of money. I certainly ran mm-hmm. out of capital. I think maybe even faster than a lot of uh, other people in, in corporate would have. I mean, I drove a truck. That was what I did. Yeah. Um, and still managed to get myself into a position to be a full time investor and uh, support myself. So, you know, if, if I can do it there, not coming mm-hmm. from a corporate world, you know, as, as a matter of fact, I think there's a lot less risk involved for somebody in my position than there would be for, you know, we talk to corporate people all the time on the, mm-hmm. on our podcast about leaving their job. And I can imagine that would be a lot more stressful than doing what I did because yeah. they have a lot more to lose. You know, they've got, uh, we've talked to people who are high up in, in Bell or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and they've chosen to leave their jobs. And I can imagine how stressful that would be. So I actually think that I took the easier path of not really having much of a career to speak of, but that I was uh, putting on the line. Um, yeah. So, hey, listen, if you're not doing much, get out there and start buying properties. Yeah, that's sort of like the situation I was into because I, uh, I had had a teaching contract and I was working in the mortgage world, but I was, you know, fully commission based and, and I really wanted to be investing in property and wanted that to be like my sole focus. And I'm like, but how the heck do I do that? Um, but, uh, you know, being that it was sales, if, if I wasn't working, I wasn't, I wasn't making money anyway. Uh, so it was just like, well, I'm going to focus my energy on this. So it's funny. Yeah. Like, uh, 
I don't know if it's the right expression to call them the golden handcuffs. Uh, you know, like when you have, yeah, yeah, like when you're in that type of a job, you don't ever want to leave because you know how good what you have is and, and how hard it would be to get it back. Whereas for me, the mortgage business, it would really just be about going back out and drumming up leads again, like just going right. out and, and reinstigating that. So, um, yeah, I can relate to you there to, to a lot, Rob. And so you, when did you quit your job as a, as a truck driver? Uh, I was going to just say, so, so that's why the majority of our places are JVs, right? Because oh, we didn't you have, couldn't get the mortgages. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we had to yeah. turn to that pretty quickly. So yeah, yeah. Uh, the majority of them are, and now I've sort of found myself in a position where, you know, it's not too hard for me to find joint venture partners, especially when I, like I said, I'm only doing maybe two projects a year. Mm-hmm. So, so when I, when I find something that works, um, it's pretty easy for me to find someone to partner with. Yeah. And well, the credibility you have from your podcast too, I mean, the the amount of people who know your name in this space, I would think are most real estate investors know of the name Rob Brake or or they know Breakthrough uh, Real Estate Investing Podcast. I would assume. Well, that's very nice of you, but I highly doubt that. But uh, <laughs> but I appreciate you yeah. saying that. Yeah. Well, definitely, I, I would think you're you're most certainly the biggest real estate podcast in Canada. Would would that not be the case? I have no idea. Uh, uh, sure. Yeah. Let's I would think that. so. We'll go with that. Uh, we'll go with. Yes, that. absolutely. <laughs> How do you judge that? I mean, who, I, I who said? I, I don't know. You can look at Chartable. They they rank it, but I mean, I've never ever looked at that. Let's okay, do well, it now. I'll send no. you. I'll send you the link. I'll send you the link. <laughs> no, I imagine. Yeah, I, I've seen you guys on there. You're you're definitely doing well. So no, that's great. And you know, props to you for for starting that so early, right? Because you, I think you were you were saying to me that you had been driving your truck, listening to the American podcasts, and you just wanted to hear Canadian content. And since you and Sandy were just talking about it, whenever you met up, you're like, hey, why don't, why don't we just record that? Well, yeah. The funny thing was, I would call Sandy probably every day and talk about real estate stuff and you know the ideas that we kept bouncing back and forth off of each other it was just like you know maybe we should record this so the idea wasn't to have guests on at the beginning actually the idea was more to um take what each other has learned and share it with each other and and help people that way Mm -hmm. right but it quickly turned into uh an interview podcast so every once in a while we will do one where there's no guests but uh but most time we have a guest yeah, yeah, eventually you kind of crush out uh, all the ideas you had fresh and you want to get some more ones on there. But I find like the banter you get, just throw a new voice in there. So, you know, someone bring up a couple of new yeah. topics and then yeah. now, now all of a sudden you're still having a conversation. Like, I don't know, maybe some people are annoyed by it, but my podcast is just always like a conversation. Like we're just back and forth. Uh, well, I like real this. Estate. This is great. Yeah, this is yeah. the this is the way that interviews should be, right? It's yeah. just a, it's a conversation and it flows. Yeah, it's exactly. not you going, it's not, and we try to avoid this too, but it's not like read off your question. Number one, <laughs> what is the biggest mistake you have made in real estate? Yeah. You know, well, I, I like mean, to go where it takes too, but it's yeah. true. And, and, you know, in fairness, because I don't take that approach, I probably do miss some opportunities to ask questions. So it is a trade off, but I, it's just what I like. So well, I'll just stick. The answer, how long do you want your show to be? Can't ask every question, every guest, right? So we can have we can have repeat uh, repeat interviews uh, if we don't get to a, get to all of it. Um, so you know, I can appreciate that, like you and Sandy, like both show like this incredible amount of growth, right? Like you look at what Sandy's doing and and all the projects they're doing in, in Hamilton. Um, you guys both went the realtor route, uh, obviously. Um, taking what you've learned and helping other people with it. And uh, I can imagine how many ideas you guys helped each other with. Like, does anything stand out like in that, that dialogue early on, like things that you guys shared with each other that, that really made a difference? Well, I think it was the support as wholesalers really that got us that sort of, that was really the turning point for both of us because that was a key thing too. Um, both Sandy and I, you know, some people do it. Some people do it to a big level. Now there's a, a few names that I'm sure, you know, that are, oh, yeah. that are wholesaling and they're just crushing it. But back when I was doing it, there wasn't too many people um, going that route. And Sandy and I both started that way. And we both actually did pretty good. And that was, uh, that was actually how I found her. Amari. I going back to that was I was looking to, to try and figure out, can I wholesale? Like, can I, can I go and offer to buy someone's house and then just go to Andrew and say, Hey Andrew, you want to buy this house that I like, can I do that? Mm -hmm. Um, And so 
on the Durham REI website, I think, or on their landing page or whatever it was. Can you buy money with no, you know, no credit and no money? Yes, you can. So I'm like, okay, I need to go find out about this. And okay. uh, and the first meeting that I went to, Sandy was there. So that's how I met him. Okay. Yeah, was he, he wasn't in Hamilton at that time? Or he was just making a really no, long drive? No, no, he grew up in Uxbridge. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. So I did ask him way. these questions, but uh, yeah, so that's, I mean, I would love to come out. It's just like, that's like two two hours for me or an hour and a half, and oh, man, I drive enough. <laughs> yeah, I know the feeling. I'm always driving the other way, so that's the towards big Ottawa? issue, right? Well, out towards Peterborough, so. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, and what are you, about a half hour from there? About an hour, actually. An hour? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah so. about an hour. So you've got a lot of driving in your life as it is then. You're the majority out there. of my business right now is up there. So Yes, yeah, so you're up there almost every day? Uh, at least three times a week, I would say. Yeah. So, you know, and then, and then you add showings in there and, and that makes for a pretty good day right there. Mm-hmm. With the now, and all your properties are up there, your personal holdings? Uh, I, I have two properties there. I've got a couple in Port Hope, if you know where that is. It's along the 401, uh, Coburg right? Coburg area. Yeah. Yeah. It's Coburg. just, it's about, it's about 40 minutes east of here. And then the rest of mine are in Oshawa. And you live in Oshawa. Is that right? I live in Oshawa. Yeah. 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 Okay. So you've been there for a fair, like the whole time, pretty much. Like, is that where your since, first property was? Started. Yeah. 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 And we still okay. own that one, which is great. That one, yeah. You still that own one, that one? Yeah. 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 Don't think we'll ever sell that one. We bought it for 145000 uh, legal it's probably deep worth three, like 600 up, now. Down. Well, I've refinanced it a bunch of times since then. Right. <laughs> it's and your piggy we bank. still have an over leverage. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, so, I mean, that's the beautiful part. That, like when inflation's taking all your money and like everything, your dollar doesn't go nearly as far, your property keeps going up in value. So you can just keep borrowing money on it and, and, uh, and keep growing. Well, there's the proof of the uh, time in the market right there. I mean, we've, I think we've literally refinanced that house three times, three times to pull to, it out, to, to buy more, to buy something else. Now, is that your JV structure? Are you usually bringing in part of the money or are, are Not your partners? Usually. No. Okay. So were those ones like ones that you and your wife found a way to buy on your own or you just wanted the cash liquid for some other reason? Um, I mean, some of my JVs are different. Like they're really, again, with JVs and people ask me this all the time, it's like, how do you structure a JV? Like, what's the right way to do it? And mm-hmm. of course, there's no answer to that question, right? Like, it's whatever everyone's comfortable with, right? Whatever, whatever you can negotiate. Whatever, if if that person is getting what they want out of it, you need to figure out what they want, right? Mm-hmm. So, so some of mine have been structured differently, where I have put money into them. I, I try not to, but I have, and so mm-hmm. yeah, that, in those circumstances, that's more than likely what we would have put that money into. Yeah. Okay. No, that, that definitely makes sense. Again, it's all, it's all what you're bringing to the table, right? Like I imagine now it's much easier to just like, well, this is what we do. You know, our, our, our partners bring in the money and and, yeah. and go on the yeah. mortgage and we, we handle is. everything else. And that was quite hard actually in the first place, because I went from like we were talking about wholesaling <clears throat> to now trying to go to those same people that I was wholesaling to and ask them, Hey, do you want to partner on this? And they go, yeah. well, no, heck no. I mean, it's a lot cheaper for me to just buy the house from you. Yeah. I want to give you half of it. So that was a really tough transition. And I mean, I know some other wholesalers that even right now are going through the same thing. They want to start holding on to some of these properties mm-hmm. and, and the resistance that you get from the people who regularly look to you for deals is incredible. Oh yeah. You know, they don't want you out of there. They want yeah. you to stay right there. So, I mean, you've got to find other means. Those aren't the people that you partner with, by the it's, way. It's if heavily dis- discounted in that, in that regard, right? Like, I mean, if your wholesale fee is 10 grand or 20 grand or what have you uh, yeah. versus, versus you could take half of a, a flip and, and make 40 or 50, you or know, you'd half. obviously prefer that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Or, or half of the burr and keep it. Um, exactly. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the, uh, you know, the absolute best way. And, and I think that as an investor, like it, it would probably feel a lot better to you, Rob, to, to know like, Hey, I've only got my sweat in this. So I'm okay that I only, only own half of it. You know, that somebody else is on the mortgage. Somebody else is, is put the money in and I'm the guy running it. That seems fair. Like that really works for my time. Do you feel that way about it now? Oh, I absolutely feel that it's fair. <clears throat> yeah. I find that it's almost harder to sleep, though, to be honest with you, when I'm dealing with somebody else's money. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, if it's my own money uh, now, especially now, because I'd be like, mm-hmm. well, 
you know, I know, I know I'm doing things right. I know I'm dealing with things and I don't have to explain myself to anyone, but when you are using someone else's money, it's, it's harder to sleep at night, right? You want to do everything right. You want to give them what you've promised. So it's quite stressful in that way. I find. Yeah. And, and the accountability to multiple different people as well, right? Like that's a business, just Mm. investor relations, right? Are you dealing with multiple multiple investors or just multiple repetitions of the same investor, like the same investor uh, getting a little it. bit of both. Yeah. A little bit of both. Yeah. Like, uh, so I've got the two properties going on. I got one, um, we're doing a burr or BFRR, whatever you want to call it. Buy, okay. Fix, yeah. Refi and rent. Yeah. That's how I learned it. Anyway. Yeah. Um, we're doing one of those in Oshawa right now. And, uh, and he's a repeat JV from last summer. And mm-hmm. uh, when we did one of the same type of deals and then, uh, and then the other one is a new partner. Okay. So yeah. And now each time now, now you got to know that person, hopefully you already have a relationship with them. So you kind of understand them and how they operate. Right. But now you got one more person that, that, you know, you're, you're talking to on a fairly regular basis, I would assume. Yeah. And you've got to figure out exactly what they're expecting of you. Yeah. Just because one person's expecting one thing, it doesn't mean that other person's expecting the same, right? Somebody might want to be more involved in the property, which I mean, it all depends. It all depends on, on what you need, right? Like I would rather somebody not want to be involved in, in the renovation process and just say, okay, you know, call me when it's done and let's pull some money out of this thing and move on. But uh, some people want to be a little more involved. That, yeah, that's, that's challenging. Right. I mean, but I get it. Like, cause those people probably want to learn and maybe one day do it themselves and maybe they're not the ideal target for what you're looking for. Cause you probably just, yeah, the same person that's going to you know buy five properties with you and then, and then they're, they're good. You know what though? At the same time, I've always enjoyed like teaching people or letting yeah. them learn. And mm-hmm. quite frankly, those people that don't want to know anything, I almost go, why don't you want to hear? Like, don't you want to know what's going on? And they're like, no, I don't want to hear it. It's like, but we did something cool. No, no, it's okay. Just, you know, tell me when it's done. Those right? are the perfect, perfect people, uh, who, uh, who can just sign a check and take an interest rate instead of owning half the property. If all they, if all they want is just to see cash in their bank account, then, um, and that's been my experience anyway. They, mm-hmm. they work I well. Maybe I way. just talk too much. <laughs> hey, you want half my profit? <laughs> no, I, well, I, I guess you still have the challenge with getting the mortgages though, right? You still, um, you know, that's still going to be the big one, but uh, do you see, you know, we're going to get into that deal in a second here, but do you see a, a change coming for you? Like, like you're already 12 properties in, and uh, are, are you hitting your cash flow goals or do you, are you kind of looking to scale that up at this point to try and increase it or you just want to keep, keep going slow and steady? Well, I think my cash flow is actually going to go down because my intention is to refi till I die. I didn't make that up, but uh, I stole that from Jason Hartman, who has a great podcast out of the States as well. Okay. And, you know, so when you do that, obviously your cash flow suffers. So, yeah. you know, I'm still working. Right. Like even though I'm yeah. doing something that I love, I've still got a job when yeah. my wife's biggest complaint about me is that I never switch off. You know, if somebody calls me at nine o'clock at night, I answer the phone, which is really, it is a bad habit. Even though I get to make my own schedule, I find that that, that if somebody calls me, I, I go, they must need to talk to me. So I want to answer the yeah. phone. I have some crazy urge that I just can't uh, not do that. So, so I'm still working a job. Um, and I make good money at this job, even though I'm helping people and doing my investor thing. Um, yeah. but it, it's complimentary is, business though, right? Like it yeah. teaches you what you want to know anyway. And, but that is covering my lifestyle, right? So, so in order, yeah, I want to scale, but I think I'm pretty comfortable doing yeah. what I'm doing. It's not like I'm the guy going, yeah, I want to, mm-hmm. although if I did find the opportunity of that 30 unit building you were talking yeah. about, the piece of junk, I probably would buy it. Yeah. Most likely. <laughs> well, okay. And, and yeah, and I meant like there's areas in London and I'm not going to name them um, that traditionally have been quite bad and, and had 
houses with really, really poor build quality. Like you could just tell the carpenters that built those houses didn't care as much, you know, back before the days of inspectors, it was just, Hey, I think this will work. Mm. That was more what I'm referring to, you know, like 30 units, you probably aren't going to find 30 units that poorly built. So that's probably a bad example, but okay. um, No levels or squares involved. Yeah. yeah, No levels and squares slap it together. I mean, I've seen it. I've owned it. Unfortunately, like you just see, you see it like clearly the people who built this didn't care. And even though it was a hundred years before, uh, and I, I really try to avoid that so that, you know, buying in, in areas that are fundamentally flawed, buying buildings that are fundamentally flawed. Those are the things that I think give people gray hairs. And, um, I got enough of them coming in on my beard already. I don't, uh, I don't need any more of them. So, um, yeah, I see one. Yeah. You can probably see yeah. a few. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, well, let's talk, let's talk about this student rental you bought. So that's a new challenge that you're going to have, but of course you've got good contacts in Peterborough. Actually, uh, I, re- I interviewed Jared Henderson not too long ago. And, Good guy. Uh, yeah. yeah, he was singing your praises. So uh, you must be doing something right. Let's talk about these numbers. Okay, so you sent me a PDF, but I'm gonna just t- we're going to talk through it anyway. Um, so you got a property here that you bought for $555,000. I'm trying to bring it up so I can follow along with you. And I've lo- oh, here we go. I found it again. I, you really came prepared. No, no one does this. You know that, right? <laughs> Is that right? I thought everybody did this. That's no. why I scrambled to get this together for you before I came on because I'm like, you, you talk numbers all, all the time. I better have something ready for you. It's always back of the envelope. So no, it's okay. I appreciate this though. No, you know, it's what you can remember, right? Like you're usually going to be reasonably accurate um, on, your, on your stuff. So um, anyway, so you buy for, for $555. Are you figuring like you're going to be spending some money here to renovate? Yeah, so uh, here's a here's a good example of what we think is going on anyway. So I uh, initially got this one under contract um, beginning of March. Um, and, you know, things hadn't hit quite yet. So our goal our plan at the time was to just run it as a 10 bedroom student rental. Okay. Right. Um, and now with everything changing, although I do think that this is a much better plan is we've decided to add a two bedroom apartment. So they've, they had like sort of a, a, what they call the condo loft area above the garage, mm-hmm. which was essentially an apartment on its own before we were just going to use it as a room because it was part of the house. But now we've decided to, uh, because of all, because of everything that's going on, we want to uh, make sure that we're covered a little better, right? Like a, a, a unit will rent regardless of maybe yep. whether or not the students are going back to school or whatever. Some of that stuff is still mm-hmm. up in the air. So we figured the best idea for this was to go ahead and add the second unit, which we weren't originally going to do. So, and, and it makes our numbers look way better, but there's a lot more money that goes into it now. And, um, so and what do you think you'll spend like as a, as a whole? It's round? actually not going to be, it's, it's going to be really good because everything's already in place. We're yeah. basically adding a fire separation and a stove into that apartment really is all we have to do. Okay. You know, I'm dumbing it down a bit, but yeah, well, that's the way I like it here. You know, just, just back of the envelope kind of like generally this is what we're doing. This is what it's going to cost. So it's going to be about, and then we're, you know, we're, we're fixing up some bathrooms and doing some flooring and painting and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Right. But, uh, so we're looking at about 50 grand, probably 50 grand. Yeah. That's not bad stuff. at all. No, it's not bad at all. I mean, because when you compare it to, uh, you know, doing a basement apartment from scratch is usually in around like the 85 to hundred K mark depending yeah. on what you've got to do on a bungalow. So, I mean, this one was already done for the most part. We're not doing a whole heck of a lot other than fire separation. And zoning has no issue with you having, so you'll have nine bedrooms in one unit and two in another. Is that right? We're going to have 10 bedrooms. 10, 10 and one. Most likely going to have 10 bedrooms in the one side. We're going to have at least nine, most probably 10. And then the two bedroom apartment. So what you've got to do there. And, uh, and we can talk about this right now because I think Peterborough is one of the best places that you can invest in right now. If you were talking to Jared, like you said, I mean, that's, he raves about it. Yeah, yeah, he really likes the numbers there. He he, uh, he invests at a distance from uh, from Montreal. Mm-hmm, so that's right. Obviously, uh, he uh, he knows he knows what he's into. Exactly, and, and I think he's uh, he's uh, he's got five, four or five properties there now. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, seems to yeah. be seems to be what I hear. Peterborough is like the hot spot in Ontario. Really, I hear more people rave about Peterborough. 
uh, followed by a close second, which would be Welland. Those, those are like the two markets that I hear people just like kind of rave about. I'm not trying to hide anything from anybody, <laughs> but when, uh, when, um, the Canadian real estate wealth magazine put out their top, uh, places to invest and, uh, and Peterborough wasn't in there last mm-hmm. year, I think I was like, yes, cause I get to introduce <laughs> people to this, right? It's a, yeah. it's undiscovered territory, but I think it was in there this year. Um, but, yeah. uh, but so, so they've got a really unique um, thing that they are doing there is where they allow you to register a ten, up to a 10-bedroom, provided okay. it meets fire code and all that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And you're not over overcrowding the space that you've got up to 10 bedrooms as a student rental, and you can register that with them. So they call it a large dwelling unit. It's not a rooming house. It's, they've classed it as different. You can have it in an R1 zone there. Okay. And, uh, and, and then there's different processes that you have to go through to get that, right? So what we're doing first is we're separating and adding our accessory, legal accessory unit, which you're allowed to have up to two bedrooms and an accessory unit. And we're registering it as a duplex. And then you go and register the other side as a large dwelling unit. Oh, okay. Okay. So everything's totally above board here. And, and I mean, you would think, that they would have something against that, but it's actually encouraged because of the shortage of uh, rental units that they have there and the shortage of room by room units that they have because of uh, all the student rentals that they need. So again, I'm not exactly sure the, how that's going to look this coming yeah. September. Um, but in the long run, you know, I'm not, I'm not scared of this. And, uh, and I have one student rental there right now, which is six bedrooms registered and it's full for this coming season. It was full as of the beginning of May, which mm-hmm. is good. Um, there are some of my other clients who, who have, you know, a few rooms vacant and some with some issues where if the other students were moving out, the existing students didn't want other people to move in because mm-hmm. of everything that's going on. So, you know, I certainly am not going to tell everyone that everything's great. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Just, you know, there's extra precautions that you need to consider in this time as with yeah. any kind of investing, right? Yep. And I've been, I've been saying this too, and I'm not in any hurry uh, to, to make a move right now because yeah, my student rentals are pretty specific and um, I like London as a market, you know, for me that I can pivot, I can serve, you know, I can service uh, homeowners or sorry, sorry, families. Uh, however, the, the rent for families is not going to be as much as, uh, as students are paying. So I'm very fortunate. And then I have leases running until the end of, uh, end of April. However, you know, if, if we're not back in business by, uh, you know, hopefully uh, January, at least, you know, it could, it could get uncomfortable. And, uh, at that point, you know, hopefully Airbnb is back up and running and most industries back and running and, uh, and, you know, I could Airbnb out rooms and things like that. So there are ways, but it could be a lot of headaches. So, um, yeah, you know, you're absolutely right to point out that there's always risk and, and, you know, in the student game, it was, it was one of those things I like took for granted as like students, you know, it's like pure gold. Yeah. It's a pain in the butt to manage, but it's like gold. It's like the one thing, you know, Hey, schools aren't going anywhere. Well, Somehow schools went somewhere, and uh, you know Gary V. Of course, says you know people people can learn on YouTube, and you don't really need school. And I don't agree with his his philosophy uh, entirely, but I do see where he's coming from. And for those certain motivated people, yeah, there could be a shift long term away from school. So for me, I'm looking at it thinking, how can I hedge myself so that. If I am in student rentals, I can pivot and use those as family rentals, or I can use repurpose those, um, you know, investing in markets where that'll allow me to do that. Uh, do you feel like Peterborough allows you to pivot if you if you need to? There's you know families that want to be there as well. Oh, absolutely, and mm-hmm. and since the um, you know the whole point is to sort of make ourselves adverse to this kind of thing happening. Mm-hmm. Um, any any student rental that we generally look at, like um, would be the same thing exactly that we would look at for a burr. Okay. So a lot of the people that are buying student rentals there, well, they'll buy a bungalow, a three-bedroom bungalow, and then it's got a rec room and another bedroom downstairs, and you, you split the rec room into two, and now you got six bedrooms. It's yeah. really nice and easy, but at the same time, if they decide, you know, this was my spiel for the last two years. If some for, for some reason student rentals dry up, you've got the option to add that second suite. Yeah. Right? So That's, that's great. Yeah, yeah. That's what you need. Yeah. And that's always what we look. Okay, so let's let's crunch um, through so some of these. I mean, I wouldn't say it's a 
Go no, ahead. sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, let's get into some of these numbers, but finish your sure. thought. Yeah. You want to finish your thought first or just keep, no, keep going? I forgot what it was now. You interrupted Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, okay. So you said uh, house insurance is 282 a month. So that works out to be, uh, so about 3384 a year. Yeah. See, uh, that was pretty pricey. That was yeah, That's, that that's higher end. Yeah. That's yeah. higher end insurance. Yeah. We've got to make sure that we're covered. Yeah. And, and with student rentals, like I think a lot of people think, you know, oh, we'll just tell them it's a family, but if you don't disclose it's students, like you're not even mm-hmm. covered. So don't do that. Um, so property tax, you've got four thirty-two a month. So I'll just get that into an annual figure. So that's it's uh, down. It's actually a little lower down there. You got it on there somewhere. Yeah. Property tax at, uh, well, it says four thirty-two a month. Oh, Is no, that- down at the bottom, 5181. Yeah. uh, I have 5184, whatever numbers are close enough. (laughs) Um, so maintenance, what kind of number would you figure for your maintenance? Uh, like 8% or 5%? Um, I don't know. I just put 350 in there because I figured I had a a month. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's just see what that would work out to be. Yeah. So 350 a month is probably closer to to five percent four four five percent i'll just leave it at at five percent for now i like to use that number management i see you had nine percent in there is that yeah. that's what you pay what does that include yeah. like is that uh, it doesn't that's, include lease up no so it doesn't include do lease my, up no no so really? they'll charge half a month for lease up do they cut um, lawn lawn in that number like, no it, it, no no that's part of the maintenance yeah i know no i just jared was giving me numbers where he's like oh for eight percent or I think he said like he was getting leasing and and renting out of that. I figured you guys would have used the same guy. Um, and well, that very well could be. And uh, I, I've got a bunch of different property managers that I that I you know mm-hmm. am aware of from okay. the area, and they're all you know they have different things going for okay. them. So the one that I use is because I trust them the most, right? They're right, definitely no, not I, the cheapest. And I am like really big on like, don't just go for the lowest price. Like that's like probably the worst thing you could do. Um, because you can get yourself into a lot of trouble uh, by doing that. So anyways, let's, so let's look at your, uh, so your utilities, you're figuring 600 bucks a month, which yeah, that seems reasonable for, for the number of bedrooms you got there. So, and that's only for the, uh, that doesn't include the apartment. The apartment's going to pay their own utilities. Okay. So the apartment will pay their own, uh, so utilities at that, uh, management at nine. Uh, so lease up, you're not going to have any issue or you're not going to have a, a cost there cause you're paying or you're doing it yourself. So yeah, I'm doing it myself this time. I, I'm not really, uh, super pumped about it to be honest, yeah. Andrew. I, I didn't mm-hmm. want to do it, but you know, I, after speaking with the part, my partner and trying to figure out the, the savings there, it's pretty mm-hmm. significant, right? So it is, it's huge. And especially yeah. like, I just think like, if you're going to be in the business of student rentals, um, you can build a relationship with a rental agent and, you know, maybe have them do it. I've done that. I've also rented myself. Um, I like the idea of being able to rent it yourself or at least have some contact with the student first, because then they sort of form a relationship with you and they'll see, Hey, you know, Rob's a good guy. I, I like him. He's very reasonable. He seems like he wants us to have a good house. Like let's treat him fairly. Whereas if you're, you know, just some, uh, property management company, not saying that, you know, there's anything wrong with yours, but yeah. you don't take the personal time maybe with each group that you might, if you own the place. Um, yeah. And trust me, it has nothing to do with me. Not like the good thing is, is that I'm there quite a bit, right? Like, yeah. so it is an hour away, but I'm there quite often. And yeah. what I will generally do is I'll just book everybody that I can for like an hour window when yeah. I'm going to be there. And, uh, and you know, I can do that two times a week or whatever, and I should be mm-hmm. able to fill this pretty quickly. And we are renovating right now. So all of, everything's vacant. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's, uh, Okay. So what about lawn cutting and snow removal? Obviously you're going to have to probably do some of that. Yeah. So that's in the maintenance. Oh, you just, that's in your 4% number, your 5% number. Okay. I usually would just separate that out. Like I'm thinking maintenance more like, what about your painting on an annual basis? Like this door got broken, this toilet's leaking, that kind of thing. That all fits in 4,700 a month or a year. Hopefully, I mean, <laughs> I'm making you I'm question. I'm trying to get the right it. students here, man. I don't want them ruining stuff on me. Uh, is I it, mean, we're, like, it's going to be relatively newly rented, renovated. Yeah, so. yeah, that's just it. I mean, we're spending yeah. a bunch of money on it now. I mean, look, this yeah. is this is these numbers can change, but right now, yeah. three fifty, I think, for the year after everything's fixed up, is going to be pretty reasonable. Yeah. Now, and I, 
I'll, I'll play devil's advocate for you here. I'm going to put in 1200 bucks a year for, for lawn cutting and, and we'll just see how good your numbers look anyway. Let's do that. Yeah, yeah go ahead. I'm yeah, sure yeah. that they're fine. But yeah. 1200 bucks, yeah, for, for maintenance, so you're talking snow removal and lawn cutting. Yeah, like 100 bucks a month. I'm sure you could find somebody to do it for that. Yeah, um, that's fair. So you're going to be, uh, well, you, you bought, so let's just call it, are, are you thinking refinance on that? No, we won't be able to refinance no. this. No, it'll be money invested. Okay. So, so you'll be in for 605 after your renovations. Um, so your cap rate for anybody who follows cap rates will be about 10.59%, which is disgustingly awesome. So, um, that's that for Ontario, that's unheard of. And, uh, I didn't miss any other expenses. Did I there, Rob? Like before I oversell you here. We always miss something, I'm sure. But, uh, so utilities and internet I've got, so here's what I got here. I got uh, taxes at 5,100 insurance at uh, 3,384 maintenance at 4,700 management at 8,478, which is 9%, uh, utilities at 7,200, which is 600 a month, uh, lawn cutting 1200 for the year. And then like, you could always throw in, you know, 500 bucks for miscellaneous, whatever, um, maybe your bookkeeping software or what have you, but, sure. um, yeah, we'll just throw that in there because these numbers already look so great. So, so 10.5%, uh, cap rate for anybody who, uh, who pays attention to that. And that's with, um, a $605,000 value. So your, your gross rent at, it averages roughly 655 a bedroom uh, across all of them for 7850 So that's your gross rent. So as far as we talk about 1% rule, well, you're over 1% rule here. You're like 1. 1.2%. And uh, your mortgage at 80%, uh, well, I guess you wouldn't be able to get 80% of that. You'll be... Uh, You'll be eighty percent of the uh, the five fifty five purchase price, but yeah, yeah. So let's just see here. So it would be that eighty percent times five fifty five. So you'll be about four hundred forty four thousand. Are you gonna? Are you doing uh, a thirty year amortization on this? Yeah, it's a thirty year. It's uh, variable prime plus uh, plus point two. Currently two point six five. Two point six five. Um, okay. So your cash flow then is 3,500 bucks a month. It's not too bad. <laughs> One property with 3,500 a month. That's, that's pretty you unprecedented. Know this is, is a unicorn. Not? This is a unicorn. Let me tell you something about this. I didn't just grab this and say it's mine. I showed yeah. at least 10 investors this place, yeah. at least 10 investors. Uh, you know, I mm-hmm. walked through with them and, uh, and nobody was interested in it. And I went, I remember saying to him, I was frustrated because I wasn't necessarily looking for something else, Andrew, mm-hmm. at the time. I was, yeah. um, I mean, I'm mid reno on the other place uh, right. or we had already, we had already bought it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I was saying to my wife, I'm like, I just don't get it. Why does no one see what I see in this place? What is going on? How come, why isn't it sold yet? She goes, well, it sounds like you should buy it then. So when, when you get a green light like that, you can't yeah. really, uh, can't really not do it right so that's the best way to be a realtor by the way be willing to buy what you're showing your clients i love that i would say that these like if you look at some of my rooms are at 500 and 550 like quite a few of them Mm -hmm. and then i've got the one which you know is basically a suite on its own it's got a sunroom it's it's very large it's probably about 18 by 14 or something like that and then it's got an ensuite bathroom Mm mm-hmm um, so that one I've got at 800, but I think a lot of these, and I like to be conservative. I'm hoping to get at least 600 for each of these rooms, no yeah. 600, but well, over 12 rooms, I averaged out based on what you were saying here, 7850, uh, you'd be around 655 ish per, yeah, per room. So that's average. I think I can yeah. bring it up though, is what I'm saying. Yeah. So you, I just so put, I'd put the lower end. This is potentially a property that you could retire on. <laughs> I mean, if you could really manage your expenses um, and, you know, just live really, really frugally, I, I know guys who could live on that. Like they, they, they could actually literally just manage one property and, uh, and not do anything else for the rest of their life, which is actually just a really cool idea. I don't know why I find that so entertaining, but I do. Oh yeah, that would be fun actually. I mean, we're, we're, you can go to the Philippines or something like that, right? I, got no, I do know people that do that. You got a property manager, take that money, that Canadian dollar, you know, Czech Republic. Uh, I, I hear that, you know, you can live like a king yeah, for $3,500 a month. That, I yeah. hear that's really nice. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I mean, there's the options are, are just endless. Um, okay, so, so looking at your return breakdown here, 
Um, I have my little spreadsheet here that calculates all this. So I'll just uh, tell you. So you got $52,000 in mortgage pay down over the five years. So that averages out to be 10,500 per year. Uh, and that's actually using my amortization chart here. So that's relatively accurate. Uh, if you get 4% appreciation, that's 2,400 bucks a year. Um, I don't know if you will or won't. Maybe we'll just say three to be conservative. And um, then you'll get your cash flow, which is 42,000 a year, which you know rarely is cash flow the biggest contributor out of the three ways you, you get a return here. So you get your mortgage pay down, your appreciation and your cash flow. Your cash flow is 42,000 in the year. Uh, that's wild. That's like really crazy good. That's a 24% cash on cash return. My sheet's calculating here. I'm just gonna make sure that's accurate. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty crazy, Rob. Like people aren't doing that in Ontario. I think in Ontario, that's probably the biggest number I've heard. Well, like, I just want to say this is an absolute unicorn. I'm not even going to pretend that this is something that I could find again, very like probably ever. Um, and, and you know what, at least even for now, I would imagine there's going to be some vacancy in those rooms. So even if we're, even if we're half (laughs) right, we're still doing okay. Yeah, yeah. So I'll I'll give the number as is, and I'll just tell you how it changed. So so that's a forty one percent return on investment. So your your investment would be your down payment, which is pretty substantial. Down payment and renovations about one hundred and sixty one thousand, uh, and then you've got land transfer roughly eight thousand, seventeen hundred bucks for legal fees. Uh, so let's call it one hundred and seventy thousand. You know, downstroke, but your investor is paying that. Uh, but you know, we'll, we'll just look at it as if anyone bought it. Uh, mm-hmm. That's still forty one percent return on investment. Like, where can you do that? You know, and and if we go crazy and we have crazy inflation here in Canada after all this craziness with, with the virus, that number is just going to go up because your appreciation is going to go up. So, uh, I mean, in the long run, maybe not in the short run. I mean, no one can guarantee anything, but uh, but yeah, if you if you have uh, say you have five percent vacancy um, for some reason, your cash flow goes down to thirty one hundred a month. So, I mean, shit, like, what if you had like twenty five percent vacancy? Let's just see here. <laughs> you still cash flow fifteen hundred bucks a month. So, yeah, so I mean, talk about a property that's pretty well hedged. And not only that, they left me a pool table. In the pool house. table, yeah. a slate one, or is it is it uh, no, one of the plywood? No, it's yeah. it's nice. Um, it's got all you know. It's it got very nice woodworking legs. You know, Amazing. It's not oh. just straight down. And the kids, so the kids are obviously going to get to use that, right? It's a very technical term I just used there. Yeah, no, that's, <laughs> that sounds wonderful, man. Um, okay, so this is... I'm leave the, it there, unfortunately, though, because I don't have room for it in my house. Yeah, I was about to say, you're going to have to leave that for the for the students. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's a, that's a grand slam deal. I, I know what you're saying. Like, you know, those don't come around every day. But, uh, you know, congrats for, for finding that one. That's amazing. And um, that was a heck of a ride to get it too. We won't yeah. even go into that. That's, I don't even know if I can talk about it right now, to be honest with you. But Wait, uh, The seller wasn't cooperating? Uh, it, it had nothing to do with the seller. That's okay. as much as I can say. All right. We, but, we, won't, we yeah. won't dig then. Um, yeah. Rob, so uh, I, I don't want to keep you too long here, but... Um, if, uh, if you had anything that you wanted to share, kind of like words of wisdom, something that, you know, a lesson you've learned along the way that you'd like to pass on to somebody listening or watching this, uh, what would it be? I think it would have to be to give yourself a timeline to learn and then take action. Uh, I see too many people that will join clubs or come to me and say, I want to do something and then I'll see them who, who knows, like six months later and they still haven't done anything. So I'd say it's important to set a timeline for yourself and then mm-hmm. go and take some action because, I mean, even those people that we've talked to, I would say the, the majority of them consider their first property something that they wouldn't have bought if they had to do it again. But that being said, they would never say it was a mistake. So, so it's important to go out, take action. You know, mm-hmm. you're always going to benefit, even if it's just yeah. from learning, maybe losing a bit of money. Yeah. And, you know, to that point, um, and I certainly like that you, you said, you know, put a timeline on it. I think that that, that is necessary. I love that you said that a lot of people regret their first property 
well, they don't, they wouldn't regret buying it. They wouldn't, they wouldn't necessarily say they would have changed it, but they don't like that property anymore. They and, wouldn't uh, do it again if they went back and knew yeah, what they knew. Wouldn't buy it again now. Um, yeah. And I, that's how I feel about my first. I absolutely would not buy that again now. Not a chance. Um, but uh, maybe for that price, uh, in all fairness, if it was that cheap. But <laughs> <laughs> if it was still the same price, we all would. Yeah, 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 exactly. But uh, yeah, because then you could just resell it. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think that... Um, you know, people can make mistakes, but if you, if you, if you deal with people like Rob or you, you know, you, you, you deal with real estate investors that are already in this business, they can help you hedge your risk, at least hedge that downside. If, if, if you are going to lose a little bit of money, it won't be that much. Or I, I don't propose lo- losing money. I think there's a way to engineer a deal that in the worst case, you're still making money, even if it's just a break even, uh, or close to. But uh, yeah, definitely. I, I would say, like, just to add to your point, uh, yeah, definitely take action and then you know, deal with people like like you, Rob. That uh, you know, realtors uh, or investors combo. Uh, the people who do both uh, are are really ideal to work with, in my opinion. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate this a lot. Yeah, man. I appreciate you uh, letting me grill you for some numbers. I know you were uh, you were anticipating it. <laughs> Uh, I, I see your previews on Facebook and it's always like, here's the numbers for this and look yeah. what you've done. And I'm like, Oh man, I guess I better get something ready for him. So, yeah. so he's oh. not asking me for numbers and I'm scratching my head. No. Yeah. That's great. This is a great deal. Yeah. I know people are going to be excited to listen to this. So Rob, where can people uh, follow you? I mean, I know you got the podcast. Tell us about the podcast. The podcast, you can look up uh, just uh, www.breakthroughreipodcast.ca. We're on iTunes, of course. You can find us there. Um, But the best way to reach me is just rob at mrbreakthrough.ca. It's all spelled out. No T-H-R-U. It's T-H-R-O-U-G-H. Awesome. Yeah. I will, I'll put that in the show notes so that people can, uh, can reach out to you and, uh, any other social handles we should give them or, or that's the main, the main way you, you, can, get you can find me on, um, Instagram too. Okay. Perfect. I just mostly put podcast updates on there though. And yeah, pictures good. of my kids. So people want to see pictures <laughs> of my kids. <laughs> go over there. That's nice too. All right, cool, man. Well, I appreciate this. That was great uh, to finally get you on the show. And uh, yeah, man, I'll, I'll uh, definitely be looking for some updates on that deal. Sounds like a good one. Yeah, it's been fun. Thanks a lot. Thanks for watching today's episode. Just a friendly reminder to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure that you smash the like and subscribe and notification bell. Uh, and also leave a comment. And hey, while you're at it, why not share this episode with somebody you think it could help? It helps this podcast grow and I would really appreciate it. Thanks again. We'll see you on the next episode.